Hey, good morning, Fervent World. My name is Pastor Mike, senior pastor here at Fervent Church, and I'm excited that you're here today watching and learning and growing together. Um, man, can I tell you how much I love our online community? You guys are super consistent. Um, you guys, I would say, man, you're, if it wasn't for you, um, we wouldn't actually have many people attending our church service for the first time. There's so many people when I, I go to Voorhees and I go to Sewell and they say, and when I ask them, hey, how did you hear about us? They first, they say, yeah, you know, I, I Googled it, but then I checked it out online. And then all the people on the chat were, they were so warm and welcoming. So I knew that was a reflection of the, your in-person services. So I had to check out your in-person services. So I just want to applaud you and, and thank you sincerely and appreciate you with all my heart because um, you are the church. Even if you can't physically be here, you are the church. And I know we have volunteers that live in North Carolina. We have volunteers that live all over the place. Um, and you matter. You're important. And we love you. All right. So give yourself some clapping emojis. Let everybody hear know uh, that you're loved. And so uh, w without uh, delaying any further, I could just make this a whole entire love fest and just tell, shout out all the people that I love out there. Um, but I, I do want to get into today's sermon. I think it's uh, a sermon that's near and dear to my heart. And uh, we've, been, we've been in this series, uh, this is the second week of the series, Justice for All. Um, I want us to get this more than any other series because I think um, this will activate us. I, I want us to be activated. Um, and so I titled today's sermon, Orphan, Orphans and Widows. Orphans and Widows. Um, Psalm chapter 10, verses 17 and 18 says this, O oh Lord, you hear the desires of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. God hears the cry of our world. You will incline your ear, watch this, to do justice. That's what we talked about last week, to do justice to who? To the fatherless and the oppressed, so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. There will be a day where all this madness will cease because we have a God that does justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, like we talked about last week. It might not be in our timing, but it will happen because God cares. In fact, not only God just doesn't love us, the Bible says that he is love. Um, and so today we're going to talk about orphans and widows. So if you're ready, loud and proud in the chat, let me hear everybody say, let me, let me see everybody type it. Uh, I'm here. I'm ready. Draw me closer. Make me better. In Jesus' name. Amen. That's right. You are here and you are ready. Uh, and we want to get close to Jesus to understand his heartbeat so that we could be better people. Not so that we, he could love us more because he already loves us regardless of us becoming better. Uh, but we want to be better because he loves us, right? It's because of his love. Uh, don't let me get my Celine Dion on because you love me. I can never hit those notes. Uh, but daggone it. Uh, we love us some Celine Dion. Come on. Some, some Titanic. You don't know nothing about no Titanic soundtrack. Come on, we, we, we love that song. Because he loved us, that's why we want to do all the things that we do. So we're in this series, Justice for All. Last week we talked about biblical justice, and we talked about that, hey, God's not fair. He's holy. And fairness to us, humanly speaking, we mean one-on-one, -on -one, we mean sameness. And, and like we discussed, sometimes God will, will, will bless us differently, but he loves us all the same because he's holy 
and he is just, but sometimes he's not fair, right? It's not fair, but he is a just God. And justice means, and we've learned that justice intersects with mercy, right? So, so God fulfilled his justice by Jesus, a man who did not deserve death, took death upon himself so that he could pay the penalty for our sins, right? Offering justice for our sins so that we could experience mercy. So now that as, as a new covenant, as a new church, as we distribute justice to this world, we have to distribute justice and mercy uh, so, so that we could actually make a difference in the, in the lives of the people around us. So we could have influence, so we can make an impact. Uh, and so and we read the verse, Isaiah 1:17, where it says this, learn to do good. That's what I want everybody to do. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. You see this theme that every time you talk about justice, there's this theme in Scripture that talks about these orphans and widows. Um, there's a question that all of us at times struggle with. I know I do. Um, we struggle with it. And, and it's a question that has, if I'm honest, has plagued, uh, plagued uh, American people. Um, before we do anything, we ask this question, what's in it for us? What's in it for us? What's in it for me when you do things, right? And imagine if, I, if that was the, the, the question that I asked with every action uh, that, 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 I, that I did for people, that as I'm serving people, what if I ask that question, what's in it for me. Imagine if my wife was asking, babe, can, can you rub my feet? My feet really hurt. And I look at her and I go, what's in it for me? Hey, maybe you have said that as a husband. Ha, what's in it for me? Right? Or if my kids say, hey, dad, can, can, you, can you take me to the basketball court? Uh, and I looked at them and go, uh, what's, what's in it for me? Or even worse, what if someone in church, they would sit there and they ask me, hey, you know, can you visit my cousin in the hospital, remember he, he started attending church and, and now he's in the hospital and he's going through some things. Can you visit him? What if I looked at them as a pastor and asked, what's in it for me? How crazy would that be if I asked that question, what's in it for me? Yet, let's be honest with each other, internally, we do ask that question. We might not say it out loud, but we do. With every action of service, we ask the question, what's in it for me? And we actually even do that with the things of God, right? I'll do this, God, but what's in it for me? I'll bless this person, but what's in it for me? Or, oh, let's be honest, I'll worship you, but what's in it for me? Come on, we, we have to have some honesty here. We have to be real with each other, and we all struggle with this. We make, our society has conditioned us to make everything transactional. Everything's transactional. It's always, for every if, there needs to be a then, right? We've implemented that even in our approach to the kingdom of God, right? If I do this, then God will bless me. If, if, I, if, I, if I serve it this way, then I will be promoted. We even make blessings in the kingdom of God transactional. God here then tells us that we need to care for the orphans and widows. And this is all throughout Scripture. In Exodus, he gave the law to Moses on, on specifically, you can read it yourself, specifically how to take care. He gave instructions on how to treat the orphans and widows among them in Exodus 22, right? 
And, and this week, you know, if you're a part of a collective, we have Bible reading plans. This week, you will read Exodus 22, and Pastor Barry will explain to you the context of Exodus 22. But, but understand this, that, that, that from the very beginning of our book, right, Genesis, Exodus, the second book, right, the second book, he tells us how we need to treat these orphans and widows, right? God cares about the orphans and widows. Right now in the chat, say, God cares about the orphans and widows. He cares. He cares about the orphans and widows. I love Psalm 68, 4. It says, sing to God. Sing praises to his name. Lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord. Exalt him before him. So we see all this worship, and watch what he says, that, that, that when we worship God, we worship his characteristics, his attributes, and it says the, the attributes in verse 5. It says, the father of the fatherless, protector of the widows, is God in his holy habitation. All throughout scripture, God's heart is pouring out over these people, over the orphans and the widows. But but why does God actually single out the orphans and widows in scripture? We don't understand that because we, we right now, we would like to think that it's very specific, right? In our modern day age, okay, where are the orphans? Where are the widows? I, 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 uh, in my last church that I worked at, we, we, we sponsored an orphanage over in Russia. And so we participated a lot and we made trips. I've actually been to Russia a few times going over there and serving the orphanage. That stuff is beautiful and great. And yes, there's specifics about, yes, we need to love specific orphans and widows, but it's a bigger concept if you understand context. When we read scripture, we have to read scripture in its context, in its culture, and ultimately it needs to tell the story of Christ. So as we back up a little bit and understand what did it mean contextually, it meant that, that, that coming from the place of, of, of Judaism and Israel, um, inheritance was a big deal to them. Inheritance was a huge deal, and it had a huge significance, and, and they, had, they had a structure to it, and they had purpose to it. And you can read it all throughout Scripture. When your eyes are open to this inheritance structure, you will see it just pop up off the page. In fact, the, the structure was this, that the, the oldest son was to inherit a double portion of the inheritance. You can read that in Deuteronomy 21. And then if there were no sons, then, then don't worry, ladies, you, you weren't out of it. I know back then it was a very patriarchal society, and we're not there now. But, but back then, even then, they were still blessed the daughters because if there were no sons, the daughters were allowed to inherit their father's land in Numbers 27. And in the absence of direct heirs, a favored servant or, or distant kinsman was allowed to inherit the land. You could read that in Genesis 15 and Numbers 27. But then it's very clear, it's very clear that at no time does, does one person give their inheritance to another tribe. So they had to keep the inheritance within their tribe because they valued it so much. It was highly valuable. But then in the New Testament, something shifts, right? So if you don't know anything so, so, so about reading the Bible, the Bible is actually a series of 66 books. And we have the Old Testament, everything before Jesus, or what we would call the Jewish Bible. And then the New Testament is everything uh, after Jesus or when Jesus was on earth and, and, and afterwards. And so in the New Testament, when, when Jesus fulfilled the, the, the law, he, he, he completed it. In the New Testament, we have this covenant and inheritance became a spiritual thing from God. It became a spiritual thing from God. And so it's not a promised land, but it's a promised spirit that he left. You can read this in, in Ephesians 1.11. It says, in him we have obtained, watch this, that word, an inheritance, have it been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. 
So again, you see this inheritance. You, and so when you look at an orphan and a widow, guess what? They, they, an orphan doesn't get an inheritance because they don't have parents, right? And, and, the, and the husband of a widow is dead, so that messes up with the inheritance structure. You probably what I'm, where I'm going. I'm setting everything up so that we could understand the context of orphans and widows. So then we see in the new church, early church, first century church, we see the necessity still to care for orphans and widows. Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 2 says this. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, all right, people were getting saved. Can we get back to that? Can we get back to people getting saved? Can we get back to not being so married to our methods or married to our preferences and that we get married again to the, to the mission of God and the purposes of God and to actually see people come to Christ for the very first time? We could do that, church. It is possible. How do I know this? Not because of our abilities, not because of, 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 of our talents, not because of Pastor Mike or any other pastor here on staff. Here's why we could do it. Because Jesus told us we could do it in Matthew 28. He goes, go and make disciples of all nations. And watch this. He ended, he concluded it and says, I am with you to the very end of age. The reason we could do it is because you're doing it with us. That's why we could do it. Because he's with us while we do it. But here, the numbers were increasing and a complaint from the people arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the 12 apostles summoned the full number of disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching of the word to God to serve tables. So here's what we're gonna do. This is where we invented deacons and we're gonna designate the deacons to make sure that no one falls through the cracks. Because right now, what they were basically saying is that our orphans and our widows are falling through the cracks. These Hellenists were important because, again, they were from a different tribe. Remember, they were tribal, and God's trying to fix all this. Now, it's like he loves the whole world, right? We're a part of one tribe now under God, right? But God so loved the world that he gave his only son, right, for, for the penalty of our sins, right? So once some of these Jewish widows became Christians, they immediately were disassociated from their Jewish family, all right? Not only not only, like, are you a widow, and, and again, what's in it for us? You, we don't get much out of you. Um, now you are part of a whole different tribe. Um, yeah, we, we're disassociating ourselves from you. And isn't that the problem with religion, folks? Religion loves to disassociate ourselves with other people. When, again, we have a Jesus that sat with sinners. We have a Jesus that sat with people that were different. In fact, we have a Jesus that was different himself. Hello. And so that's what religion does. But here... Some of the Jewish women were, were excommunicated from the religious community, and even the synagogues, even the church at the time wouldn't provide any support for these women. So, so basically, following Jesus, their, their lives are already rough at this time, being widows, but following Jesus was a death blow uh, to some of these ladies. So the Christian community immediately being filled with the Holy Spirit in charge of what Jesus asked them to do, they began supplying the needs for the widows. And again, but then what the problem was with the rapid growth of the church at the time, some of these widows were falling through the cracks, right? So again, this is where structurally speaking, I love it when people are like, ah, you know, I don't like church structure. I don't like organizations. I don't like the, the church is an organized, you know, institution. And, and I, I don't believe that the church is a business, um, but I think even organic things have structure. Hello? Organic things have structure, and organic things still have systems, right? So the, the, when the Bible talks about the church is a body, your body has structure. 
Your body has systems, right? We have the nervous system. We have the skeletal system. We have multiple systems going on to make sure that the body is functioning properly, okay? And so as much as the people now are rejecting the church, I'm hoping and praying that we're sober-minded and mature enough to say we're, we reject the corruption of the church, uh, but the mechanism of the church, the organization of the church, the organism of the church, and, and the organic nature of the church still requires systems and structure. Can I get a big amen? Anything to flow well and be healthy still requires system and structure, right? Let's be honest and mature about it. But here they saw with this rapid growth, they needed to be able to add a system to make sure these people weren't neglected. So if you think about it, orphans and widows, culturally speaking, were very low on the totem pole. And because of the system of inheritance and the system of being culturally overlooked in society, um, these people weren't cared for. These are the people that no one cared about. These are the people that when, they, that when others looked at them, they asked the question, what's in it for us? What's in it for us? And I want to answer that question today. I want to answer it. For Fervent Church, I can't speak for any other church. Um, all I can speak uh, about is, is our church and my family, my the Rosado family. And so when we ask the question, what's in it for us? Here's the answer, nothing. Nothing. Again, the second most encouraging message of the year. <laughs> Last week, I'm like, God's not fair. You believe that? <laughs> and today, what's in it for us? Absolutely nothing. Here's why. Justice is not transactional. Justice, true justice, true biblical justice is not transactional. We're called to do justice. We're called to learn to do good. And in order for us to get that, we got we to gotta remove that question, what's in it for us? Or answer the question, and the answer is nothing. What's in it for us? Nothing. We are called to be great. But there's a way to greatness that we need to understand. Jesus taught this in Luke 22. He says there was a dispute also arose among them his disciples, his team, his knucklehead team, as to which of them was going to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, the king of the Gentiles exercised lordship over them. Gentiles are people outside of the faith, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest. Remember this inheritance structure, right? The youngest didn't get the big inheritance. The big inheritance went to the oldest, right? But he says, let you become the youngest as the leader, the one who serves. For who is, who is the greater, one who reclines at the table or one who serves? And then he asks this question. He's, he's, it's, it's almost a sarcastic question. He goes, is it not the one who reclines at the table? But then he, he, the game changer here, he says, but I am among you as the one who serves. Jesus said, listen, I am your perfect Messiah. I am, I am one with God. I am the greatest. And let me tell you my posture towards you. I am the one who serves. And I love how Jesus never corrected the desire to be the greatest. He just explained a way to get to it. And the way to get to it was service. The way to get to your success, you know, it, Forget greatest. Some, some of you, maybe that's not a part of your vocabulary. I don't care about being the greatest, but you do, America, do care about being successful. Every single one of us wants to be successful. 
And here's your anchor point for all the collectives in our discussions this week is that success isn't our finish line, serving is. Success isn't our finish line, serving is. Because if we serve, if we serve, and let that be our goal, let that be our motivation, service, we might end up having the byproduct of success. So success could be a byproduct, but it's not the goal. Our goal is to serve. But what do I get out of it? Nothing. You might not get anything. And in order for us to do justice, we have to be okay with that. In fact, we have to start learning to celebrate that. In fact, every single person here, listen, I'm not knocking you. I'm not knocking you for desiring to be successful and desiring to, to, to make money and, and, and to have wealth. Listen, uh, if, you're, if you're a person who's, who, who God has put on your heart to start a business or something to that nature, I heard one guy say it this way. When you're starting a business, ask the question, how can I help? Works better than how can I make money? Because how can I help? addresses a problem. And if you answer a problem, you will never run out of your opportunity to make money. And I think that's wisdom, but I also think that it actually even matches with scripture. You want to be successful, you have to take the, the, the posture of a servant. It's about serving. And, and, and for us to sit there and say that we want to be disciples of Jesus. You know, recently, honestly, I don't even want to call myself a Christian anymore. I'm a follower of Jesus or a disciple of Jesus because the term Christian is just a box that we check off on an application or a survey. And some, there's some Christians out there that aren't disciples. But I, I want to be a disciple of Jesus. And I believe that serving is a fruit of discipleship. Write that down. Serving is a fruit of real discipleship. Yes, nowadays, unfortunately, you could be a Christian um, and not serve, not be a part of a community, but you could just claim that you have the belief, claim that you do have the faith, but faith without works is dead, people. So serving is the fruit of discipleship. And so for, in order for us to properly care for the literal orphans and widows or the metaphorical orphans and widows in our day and age, we have to go back to a heart of service. So having a heart of service means a couple things. Number one, you can't have a heart of service and view the world as less than. You can't have a heart of service and view the world as less than. Let's be aware of some of our Christian pride. There are sometimes we look at this world and we do see people as less than us. And the church continues to attempt to disciple people that they don't actually love. And that is a problem because we look at people as though they're less than us. And yes, maybe you're right. Maybe those people are caught up in sin, right? Maybe we're looking at drug dealers or homeless people. Maybe they are caught up in sin. Who knows? Right? I don't know the full story. But for us to have the audacity and the pride to look at them as they're less, less than who I am um, is a severe problem. Because if you look at someone less than, then it's, it's, it's going to be difficult for you to actually love them who they are. Because the Bible says to love your neighbor as yourself. I'm preaching somebody to love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus showed us this example of being touched. He was a touchable savior. Culturally speaking, again, culturally speaking, you know, there's one story where the woman with an issue of blood, a person with that issue of blood could not be, you couldn't touch a priest. Yet Jesus allowed 
himself to be touched by this woman with the issue of blood. Jesus allowed himself to sit with sinners, people that were excommunicated by the church at that time, right? So he was a touchable savior. He, he did not allow uh, this sense of there's us and them and, and you're less than and you're not worthy. No, he, he created this inclusive nature to him. And, and, and we have to understand that the more we look around and look at people as though they're beneath us, and we, we just love to call people out all the time. We're just calling people out. Here's our job. If, if, if they're not living at a standard, we don't call people out. We need to call people up. Call people up to, to the glory of God. Call people up to, to, to the place where they can live better lives for themselves. But not necessarily call people up to us because we all fall short of the glory of God. I want to call people up to Jesus, right? I want Jesus to let them know first that they're loved. And then let Jesus correct them and the Holy Spirit convict them. That is not my job. I'm taking the responsibility and the role of God in their lives, and I'm not. I'm not less than you. Listen, the ground before the cross is completely even when it comes to any of us, from the pastor to the politician, from the, from the rich person to the poor person, from, from one race to the next. We are all even at the, at the foot of the cross. All of us are even. My sin put Jesus on the cross just as much as everyone else's sin. So... I cannot have a heart of service if I view the world as less than me. And if we actually start getting this, if we actually start having the heart of a servant, here's what I have found. I have found that the more I just put on my apron and serve people, watch this. Here's a cool byproduct of this. My insecurities decrease. We're all insecure. Can I get a big amen? Our insecurities decrease. Serving releases my insecurity. When I'm up here and I'm preaching, if it's about me performing well, me preaching well, me making sure that I say the right thing to make me look good, um, it, that gives a lot of space for insecurity, doesn't it? Like, I, oh, man, I messed up and I beat myself up after sermons. And then one day it just switched. I'm not here to perform. I'm here to serve. So, so when, I, when, I, when I stop paying attention to the spotlight, put on my apron and serve the community in front of me, I am way less nervous. I am way less insecure. I'm way less worried when I put on the heart of service. Write this down. A servant's heart is not interested in looking good to the religious people around them. A servant's heart is not interested in looking good to the religious people around them. Isn't that a comforting that it releases your insecurity. Jesus didn't care. Like, there was a religious rule that you couldn't do anything on the Sabbath. And you know what he did? He healed and he did some stuff in the Sabbath. Imagine if he was so concerned of how this looked with religious people. Imagine if he was that concerned. But he wasn't. Why? Because you can't have a heart of service and view the world as less than. Number two, you can't have a heart of service and serve on your own terms. Ooh, I might be stepping on your toes, but I hope I'm not hurting your shine here today. You can't have a heart of service and serve on your own terms. Those who only want to serve on their own terms actually don't serve at all. Actually don't, hey, I'll serve you, but uh, I can't get my hands dirty. Oh, I'll serve you, but I, you know, I, I, yeah, it, has to fulfill, it has to make me feel comfortable and it has to, it has to, to stand by all of my preferences. And, and, and there are a lot of us that love to, serve on our own terms. But at some, some level, serving should be uncomfortable. Serving should be uncomfortable. There's a difference. Listen, listen, I'm not asking you to self-sabotage your life. 
but we are called to be sacrificial. And I think those two things are completely different, all right? That there, is, there should be a little bit discomfort. There should, there should be a, a place where it challenges you and it stretches you, not snaps you, but definitely stretches you as you're serving people. Why? Because our flesh does not like to serve. Heck no. What does my flesh like to do? I like to recline at the table. I don't want to serve. But again, what did Jesus say? Who's going to be the greatest? It's the person who serves. So, so I even want to serve people. Like church, can I challenge us? Some, of, some people get upset by the words I use up here. And trust me, I am very fluent in Christianese. I, I could speak Christianese. I, I could be a good religious boy. If, if, if I wanted to, when I'm going in certain, certain you know, church uh, places, I, I, could, I could play the role. I could, yes, brother, hallelujah, brother. Thank you, sister so-and-so. Blessed be to God. I, I, could, I could play that role. I've been around it so much that I could speak that language. However, that is not how 90% of this world speaks. And so even when I start thinking about a heart of service, it actually, I want to serve people even with my language. I want to serve people even by the way we speak. I want my language to serve as many people as possible in my lifetime. So, so I use certain words here, um, and I paint with strong colors with my language because I want to gain your attention, but ultimately I want to speak the glory of God in the way people talk from day to day. And watch this. Isn't that exactly how the Holy Spirit wants us to use his power? The Holy Spirit empowered us to do exactly that, to speak the glory of God in people's languages. We, 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 last Sunday was, the, was Pentecost Sunday. And uh, I was a bad pastor and didn't talk about it, but, but normally uh, during our, in our calendar, that's Pentecost Sunday. And Pentecost is when, you know, people, people receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and the Bible says that they were speaking in tongues. They weren't just speaking in tongues that no one understood. In fact, other people from other languages said that they were speaking the glory of God in their own language. So when you're empowered by the Holy Spirit, you're empowered to speak about the glory of God, to testify about the glory of God in other people's language. Why? So that they can understand what's in it for me, nothing. It's so that they can be served. That's that's what it's all about. I want to serve people with my language. So you can't have a heart of service and serve people on your own terms. Well, I want to talk a specific way, and I I like my our inside language, and I like, you know, saying the right things and doing the right things. That's fine. However, when, when, when we're called to make disciples of all nations, we have to speak the language of that nation in order to make disciples. So what's more important to you, your preferences or the purposes of God? you cannot have a heart of service and serve on your own terms. Number three, last one, you can't have a heart of service and miss being with God. You can't have a heart of service and miss being with God. There's this chunk of scripture where Jesus is uh, talking about the final judgment, and he talks about how there'll be a separation between two groups, and he's basically talking about um, people that are coming that are following Jesus, sheeps of Jesus, and the people that, 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 that missed out on Jesus, basically. And in verse 34, he says this. He's telling the story, and he says, And the king will say to those on the right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit, see the word inheritance, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, 
and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, right? That's the, the people on the other side, the people who think they're righteous. Then they said, the, um, excuse me, excuse me, Lord. Um, when, did, when did we see you hungry and feed you or, or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king answered them, truly I say to you, as you do it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you do it to me. These people who did not look at anyone else less than them, that's what they did. They served. They served the hungry. They gave a drink to the thirsty. They welcomed the stranger. They clothed the naked. They visited the sick. They, they came in and they visited those in prison. And Jesus said specifically, if you do this to the least of these, you did it to me. You did it to me. And I think we miss out on Jesus when we don't serve the world around us. Can I just talk to some of the people here that, um, let me talk to those who feel like you've plateaued in your spiritual walk, right? You're, you're, you're more frustrated in church than you are growing in the church. Maybe this is not all of you, but maybe this is some of you. Maybe the reason that you plateaued, maybe the reason that you stalled in your growth or in your walk with Jesus uh, is because you stopped serving the least of these. You stop serving the least of these. It became all about you or all about just us, and we forgot about them. And Jesus said, when you do it to the least of these, you do it, you do it to me. And I think what he means is that this, that's where I'm at. I'm right there. I am right there when you're on mission with me. Maybe the reason that you're not on fire for God anymore is because you're not on mission with God anymore. And what would it look like if you just started, started just going back to the, some, some, some basic kind of stuff, put your apron back on and get on mission? I'll tell you what, man, our worship would get louder on a Sunday. Not because we're loud and charismatic, our worship will get louder because we're on mission. Nothing's louder than a room that's full of new people who have encountered the love of Christ for the very first time. Nothing's louder than that. I, I've, I've, man, I've been to prisons and watched prisoners give their lives to Jesus and men scream at the top of their lungs to God, sweetly off-key, singing from the top of their lungs because they're just so on fire for the acceptance and love that God gave him in that moment. Nothing's louder than that. The Bible says that all of heaven erupts in praise when one soul comes to Jesus. Nothing's louder than being on mission. Nothing. And, and, and what if the church got behind that? Even, even with our dreams, folks, there's, there's some dreams in the room. And I love your dreams, man. Go, go on, keep on dreaming. Um, but let me... Let me implore you to do something. Make sure that your dreams aren't just about giving you glory. In fact, they shouldn't be about giving you glory. Your dreams need to surrender to God's desires. Again, I'm not telling you, I'm not telling you to be poor and forget about your dreams because I believe wholeheartedly that the best way to help the poor is not to be one. 
okay? So if you have an idea for a business or you want to be a doctor or a lawyer or, or something that, that, that makes a lot of money, listen, God bless you for that, and I encourage you to continue doing that. But make sure your dreams, I don't want you to kill your dreams, but make sure your dreams surrender to the desires of God and that you use your wealth to influence people and help the glory of God reach the ends of the earth. Like, connect your dreams to God's purpose. They don't have to die, but they have to be connected. Because let me remind us of what we're all called to do. Matthew 28, 18 to 20 says this, and Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you to the end of age. If you heighten his presence in your life, then his mission will be heightened in your life. If you really want to heighten his presence in your life, then you need to heighten his mission in your life. I'm telling you, it might be, it might be that, that those goosebump moments have stopped in a church service because the church has forgotten to serve the world. And those moments we say, ooh, didn't you enjoy the presence of God? Didn't you, did you feel that tangible presence of God? Those moments have ceased because God wants to remind us that we could experience his presence when we're feeding the hungry. We could experience his presence when we're helping the homeless. We could experience his presence when we see the orphans and the widows and we make sure that they're being taken care of because that's what God asks us to do. But Mike, what do we get out of it? Nothing. Nothing. Yet still, orphans and widows need to be a priority here at Fervent Church. Caring for people is not an option for us. It's a command, and we get nothing out of it but the glory of God, but the glory of God. Here's what I want to pray for. I want you to identify right now, every person watching, I want you to identify a couple people, if not one person, at least one person that you know that um, requires care from community or, or any individual. Someone was like, man, these, this person isn't getting cared for. And I believe, I believe in the Holy Spirit that he's showing you and telling you that person right now. I want us together to pray for that individual. Right now, you have a name. And if you, you feel bold enough, and hopefully you don't put anybody on blast, if you're on the chat, put that person's name out there so we could, we could join in and we could pray for those individuals as well. But I, I want to pray for, and maybe they are actual orphans, or maybe they are actual widows. That's great. But I'm talking about metaphorically speaking, our orphans and widows, who are we called to care for right now? And for us not just to pray, not just to pray. We, I talked about this a few weeks ago. I don't want us just to have a broken heart. We need to have dirty hands. For us to get activated and do something, maybe it'll be, hey, I'm going to buy some groceries. I'm just going to stop by. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, at minimum, you know, give them a call. Let them know that I'm here for them. Ask them, is there anything that you need but to offer care for those individuals? If you have that name, let's pray for them right now. Father in heaven, right now, that person, Holy Spirit, that you placed on our hearts, I ask and pray um, that you help us not just pray for those individuals, but to do something. Give us those ideas. If not, just give us the courage to just ask, how can I help you? How can I care for you? Because that's what you've called us to do. And Lord, help us to not receive any glory 
It's not about us. This is about you. So we're not going to post about it. We're not going to take a picture about it. We're not going to we're not going to do anything. We don't want our reward publicly, God. We want you to receive the glory. And we want to be obedient to what you called us to do. And that is to make disciples of all people, all people, all people, Jesus. And we want to, we want, we desire for us to be aware of your presence as we do so. You, you're going to do it because you're, you're God who keeps his promises, and you have promised us that you will be with us. So help us just be aware of your presence right now. Help us be aware of your presence. Well, we don't even know what to say exactly, but you tell us what to say in the moment. Help us be aware of your presence. If we want to heighten your presence in our lives, heighten the mission that you have for us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.